0: Guys being dudes.
2: Joined by Kyle Krabs, the founder and director of scouting at NDT Scouting, we're also with Fan Reg Sports. We are your hosts here on a Friday edition of the Draft Dudes Podcast. Glad to be back after I was off on Wednesday. Appreciate Kyle uh, steering the ship without me, giving me the day off. But we're back. We are uh, on the eve of bowl games starting, and uh, it's good to see some
3: college football back in our lives here. Starting tomorrow, Kyle, what's going on, dude? Man, it was super lonely without you on Wednesday. So, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm thankful it's Friday. I'm thankful we got bowl games. We get to watch Oregon and, and QB Justin Herbert, well, potential 2019 QB one. Although we did find out that uh, Will Grew's heading back to school, so he's gonna have some competition. Um, but we get to watch Justin Herbert play tomorrow. So, um, yeah, a lot to be thankful for here on the Friday episode of the Draft Dudes
2: you know i think when when you you and i have an hour plus pre show um just to get started with our recording yes uh that that's what happens when we when we skip a show together
3: yeah we got to make up for lost time like we have like a quota time window where we have to be like i'll call you on my way home from like the gym and stuff like just yeah. just a bs and be like hey yeah you know watch so and so this is my comp what do you think so Um, this flow of communication, like we have the quota, we have to fill it. Um, part of me wishes that we would have just mega show, just let everybody in on the, like peel back the curtain and let everybody see what kind of nonsense we talk about before we, Jesus,
2: they heard the last hour. They just heard the last hour of our conversation. Uh,
3: I don't know. I don't know what that would be, but, uh,
2: uh, Kyle, we are 131 days away from the 2018 NFL draft. Here we go. And and um and 131 is also the amount of Miami Dolphins fans that show up for uh, the average home game at Hard Rock Stadium. That's weak.
3: I was but, actually expecting like some really cold-blooded like and... retaliation take and you, you now, just taking shots at the fans?
2: Taking shots at the fans. Uh, look, I, I you know look, I, I I'm surprised you went there on Wednesday. Are I get you? It's, no, no. Yes, I Are am. Are you really? I am. And here's why. I get it's rivalry week for you and I. It's been it's been a while. You're coming off a sweet win over the Patriots, but I am never confident in the Buffalo Bills to do anything for me, and so I will sit back and either be very excited about a win or continue my perpetual disappointment with the bills. I have no confidence in them and I'm not about to start and make myself look like a clown
3: to you. Well, you you have to understand this is part of the brand. The, the Kyle Krabs brand dictates, I have to be a jerk sometimes. I I have to be smug. I have to be um, a little boisterous in your face. Like because, because that's, it's that edge, right? Like, Draft analysts are brands, too. I got my own brand. I got to stay with the brand. Part of the brand is I'm talking trash on the Buffalo Bills on rivalry week.
2: Well, and and you got your desired result because as soon as I listened to the podcast on sometime Thursday, I sent you a text message and said that I just cursed you ten times. <laughs> and so so it worked. It so it worked. And, and I was like, man, you just kept going. You just kept going, man. You, you, you didn't even – it was P- Bills, Patriots. Uh, stuff you were talking about,
3: you couldn't even give me any dolphins. Twenty nine and five Patriots against the Bills in the last thirty four games. I'm
2: well aware of it. Tom Brady himself, twenty seven and three. I mean, holy the, cow, <laughs> man! I, 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 I'm used to that that biannual ass kicking. Man, we just sit back and take it. So uh, I have no other choice. So if Mister Brady would like to retire, spend some more time with his wife, I think that would make a lot of people happy. Actually, literally everybody that doesn't live in in Boston happy.
3: No, I, I don't disagree. Joe, it's also been over 131 days since the Bills last beat the Miami Dolphins, too. Just throwing it out there.
2: Yeah, you know, the Bills won, like, what, four out of five, and then yeah. the Dolphins took both those games last year. So. Yeah,
3: it's like we uh we kind of sold our souls. You know, there was some – we had to endure <laughs> some purgatory so that we could get the sweep and make the playoffs in 2016.
2: It's interesting because in the decade of the 2000s, the Bills and Dolphins are 10-10. and 10. All time against each other, and so far in the 2010s, we're seven and seven, so yeah, I hate this you will guys, be by
3: the way I hate you guys.
2: I, I want you to know that I feel the same. I, I really do and, and um, don't, don't ruin this for me, Kyle. I mean I got a, I've got a 17year playoff drought that's really close to getting to 18 years, and I need two wins over the dolphins, and I would just be a happier person.
3: Well, listen, this is the last thing I'm going to say on the matter. You technically started this because you said you were assuming. Two wins for the Dolphins <laughs> earlier this month. Did you not? Did, did you, I say? Did it? You, I don't you? know.
2: I said I said they needed two wins. I don't. No. I don't assume anything.
3: Yep, we were talking about the. There you, you were flying high off of some win, and we were talking about <laughs> making the playoffs down the stretch. And you said, "Well, we got two wins. I'm assuming two wins. We still got to play the Dolphins twice."
2: All right. I did. I said. I no. I said there's two manageable games. Mm, against adults now you're so, your
3: hedge hedging your language here well
2: I, I just don't think i'm recollecting i misremember what you're saying there sir it's all on the audio files
3: kyle if we could pull it we'll find out Got yeah, to check the receipts that's right bowl games kyle what do we got going on for the bowl games well you got a lot going on for bowl games this year because you're going oh. to a couple of them <laughs> i was referring to the bowl pick'em, but
2: yes i'm very excited right. uh Camping World Bowl on Jan- December 28th in Orlando, Oklahoma State and Virginia Tech, and then got a New Year's 6 game, the Peach Bowl, UCF and Auburn on uh, New Year's Day down in Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the third, third time this year, so
3: it's going to be a fun bowl season for me. No, you, uh, th- you're you going to be on first-name basis with the folks down at Mercedes here, a couple more trips damn, down that, that way.
2: Those are a good group of people to be on a first-name basis with, so... Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll continue to, to grow that relationship. So, uh, really really enjoy my time down there.
3: Yeah, but uh, speaking of the bowl pick'em, since I don't have any bowl games that I'm attending this year, anything to talk about in that regard. Um, we did this last year. We had a lot of fun with it. We had over 70 entries last year into the, the uh, Capital One Bowl Mania, ESPN.com uh, bowl pick'em contest, uh, in which we throw the gauntlet down for you guys to beat us picking college bowl games. And if you do, you are entered into uh, a pool, you and everybody that meets, beats every single NDT scouting staff member. Uh, And if you win that pool, then you win Joe Marino's uh, 2018 uh, draft portfolio of 300 scouting reports and my uh, 2018 NFL draft prospectus with the same 300 players with my own reports. So you're essentially playing to win 600 scouting reports on 300 guys for this upcoming draft class. So it's a fun prize. It's a fun opportunity to kind of put yourself out there and have some fun with it. Uh, Joe is our resident bull pick'em champion, two years running now. I actually represented really well last year, much better than the year before, but um, I got a little desperate at the end. You know, I felt good (laughs) knowing that Joe was so high up as far as, like, okay, we got a guy that's going to push the leaderboard. So I started rolling the dice on some of these later bowl games being like, all right, you know, I'm going to flip my pick here. I'm going to try and make up some ground. Maybe everybody else picks that. And it just didn't work out for me. So,
2: I, And Kyle, I think bigger than winning our draft guides, and, and no disrespect to our draft guides. But to say that they beat Kyle Krabs would be awfully oh, sweet for a lot of people out there. I, I'm sure it would be. The villain of the duo, as we've already uh, established. So – if for nothing else, folks, go click it. It's free. Get in there. Get in this contest, and beat Kyle Krabs' ass. Make him take an L, and then rub it in his face for an entire damn year.
3: It will feel good. I'm just gonna have to. Uh, it's a good thing they they rolled back net neutrality since everybody's gonna be charging charged for Twitter now. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm just gonna wipe it. You know, just forget it. And I, I'll save the budget a little bit. And not sign up for Twitter.com. <laughs> So do it, folks. Do it, folks. We're gonna have a lot of fun with it. So make sure you enter and
2: uh, and, sh- and hey, do your thing. I'll, I'll, uh, I'm going for the 3 Pete. Feeling good.
3: Yeah, you know, I I hope somebody on staff pushes you this year. I think I think I was not ledgered, though. Just not ledgered. Yeah, that's also I mean... true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah led- Let ledgered. me lose
2: to like Jonah Tolles. That'd be <laughs> fine.
3: You know, uh, Rogers actually due for some redemption. Roger he still is. owes us from last year. I
2: know. And, well, I think – and that's my fault. I told him that he had to come on the podcast and sing Rocky Top, and that's just not yeah, going to happen he for, uh, former Florida Forti- Gators uh, captain. You know, it's just not going to happen.
3: He's like, nah. see yeah, I'm not doing that. He's um, like, nah, I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> Joe, we have uh, quite a bit to unpack on the site today, and it's kind of what we want to get into. Uh, the week that was, you know, we had some, some player decisions. We had some film studies. We had some draft retrospects from previous draft classes. But I want to start with your six-pack from Thursday, yesterday. Uh, this is a really cool column. I like what you do here. Uh, there's some interesting talking points here as it relates to individual players and some teams and, and players that they might be looking for. So why don't you kind of unpack this a little bit for us and, and see where the uh, the conversation takes us.
2: Yes, so head over to ndtscouting.com and check out my six-pack Thursday from yesterday. As Kyle said, I kind of unpacked a lot of stuff. Um, I think one of my one one of my favorite talking points in this piece was about Florida State safety Derwin James, mm-hmm. and that he's he's a surprisingly polarizing prospect. Even in our uh, NDT scouting staff continuous chat, uh, there's a major you know, discrepancy between where a lot of us stand on Derwin James. And the first thing that I would like to say about this is that. Anybody that said that Derwin James had a bad season, I think I put it pretty well in the article. They either didn't watch his game film or have a, no idea what they're looking for because Derwin James had a really good season on the field. Now, where I think the debate comes in, and I can live with this, is what his valuation is at the next level. What do you think he's com- what What are you comfortable projecting him to do at the next level, and how valuable is that? I think that's where you're gonna get the you know, the differences between the people who think he's the top half of the first round guy or maybe a day two guy. For me, I'm really comfortable playing him in a Keanu O'Neill, Cam Chancellor type role where getting closer to the line of scrimmage, he plays well behind his hands, shifting through traffic, making plays. He's a good tackler. I like his burst to the football. I've, there's plenty of really good reps where he's defending a short zone. and He can read the backfield and quickly work into a throwing line, lane and make a play on the ball. I really like where that where that can all happen closer to the line of scrimmage. Now, I don't have any doubts that he can play in single-high looks and cover ground and take good angles to the football, but I think that gets away from his strength. So I like that he's got some interchangeable upside and that he kind of has a role that I feel comfortable projecting into where I think that this, on film, is a top half of the first-round player for
3: me. Yeah, and uh, Chancellor's my comp. He's he's more dynamic as far as, like, a, a burst and, and range and movement skills than, than Chancellor was. But that's my comp, and that's my role, and I'm right there with you. Uh, I feel like he's really impactful when you let him play the robber role uh, as a strong safety, kind of rolling down at the box. Then you can walk him up into the nickel. You can, you know, shade him down off the edge and have him blitz. Uh, play the run. You know, if you're playing it within 10 yards, he's a really great asset against the run. Um yeah, I, I agree with you, Joe, that you, you can put him back, single high, let him move. I don't think it's where he's really going to feed. Um, just looking at – i I've actually done his film report already, and the uh, the scheme fit and role summary that I have at the end of the report says, Derwin James is a blue-chip prospect. His field vision and anticipation make him a valuable weapon in any number of roles. Uh, rare athletic profile makes him a threat to be accounted for on all three levels of the defense, can be a game-changing defender. Um Comp camp chancellor, so kind of paints the picture. I I do think like man coverage skills is where he's the most raw right now, um, but he's got good ball skills. He's got great length, great size, really twitchy for his size. So uh, this is a player that I'm surprised as well to find people, uh, even well respected people in the industry and, and and people that we work with are like, ah, you know what? I don't think I'm there with Derwin because it's. Uh, I'm I'm definitely all in on him as a prospect. Speaking of all in, Kyle, I know that you are
2: awfully high on Taven Bryan, Florida defensive lineman who recently announced that he'd be declaring for this draft class. And um, you got a piece on the site right now that kind of talks about how he's instantly a top prospect. And I think that maybe caught a lot of people by surprise just because they're not super familiar with him. He had a uh, he had a great season on a, on a bad football team, and even I I was at the uh, South Carolina Florida game this year, and and I I tried to pay attention to as much as I can, and and I I saw that he was a super active player, and that he you know he's very disruptive, but you know kind of our initial conversation that you and I had about Brian was well you know, is he a guy that is like an Eddie Vanderdos type player where he's super active and, and he, and he gets into the backfield a lot, but doesn't really have much polish and refinement to, and playing under control to really make plays. Or is this, you know, is this a guy who's, you know, uh, a player that just is on a bad defense uh, and, and it takes away from that playmaking upside. And so how, how do you react to that and kind of break, break this player down? Cause I know that you think he's
3: a, a first round guy. Yeah. He's really developed, uh, the hand utilization skills that he has, when you pair that with the first step that he has at 290, uh, this is somebody that can play up and down the line of scrimmage in any number of different roles. And I don't think a lot of people – I know NFL.com wrote a comp piece for him uh, saying, you know, some people are going to compare him to to J.J. Watt, and, you know, there's there's some parallels there between the two. But by and large, like, I know the – Draftanalyst.com, like Tony Pauline, and um, he's all listed day two right now. And uh, I, I think when everybody – because if you do, Joe, like you said, you were at the this, this South Carolina game, and you're just kind of watching the game. You're not watching him specifically. You're not going to see him flash a lot at the end of plays because he's not finishing plays. So you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's that kid's really quick off the ball. Or, oh, yeah, that, that kid moves pretty well for his size but you don't see him finishing at the ball because there's there's no gap responsibility in this Florida defense. So when you actually sit down and take a look and, and watch just him, you ignore everybody else, and that can be hard to do on a defense that has a lot of four- and five-star athletes recruited on it. So I don't hold it against, you know, Tony Pauline, because they probably, you know, they're just start, people are just starting their film studies, right? So they probably haven't, had an opportunity to work around to him yet because he's not a household name. There's so many other guys out there. It's not necessarily always about being first. I like being first. There's, There's nothing wrong with whether you start with a guy or you work around to him as long as you see what's on the tape and you appreciate what's on the tape. And when you look at Brian... Holy cow, man. Like The Texas A&M game was the most physically dominating performance I have seen any defensive player put on tape this year. He destroyed every interior offensive lineman that Texas A&M lined up against him. Destroyed them. Literally pulled them up, picked them up off the ground, and threw them out of the way on multiple occasions. And then you dig through some of his other tape, and there's instances of that taking place uh, in other games as well, um, it's just a question of a guy that's so quick to get penetration, if the back has other avenues to cut away from and get away from that potential contact, you know, he's not going to have the ability to finish a lot unless he gets home to the mesh point. Well, he's a three technique, and they're running away from him to begin with. And, you know, a lot of times the, the offensive line is just blocking down on that side of the line, and by the time you know he has to kind of peel through a guy that's, that's peeling back to kind of get him once he gets hip-to-hip in the backfield, uh, the, the back's already two gaps away. He's not going to get home. So this is a player I would encourage everybody, don't dial in on the tape, or I'm sorry, don't dial in on the production, watch the tape. Try and take the entire environment that he is in, and understand that there's some limitations there that's gonna, that will naturally prevent him, no matter how well he plays, from ever having a chance to impact the play.
2: I remember, I think back to our uh, first mock draft that we did on the Draft Dudes podcast for this draft, and you, uh, you went ahead and snatched him up for the Miami Dolphins.
3: That's true, I did.
2: Yeah. You, you sly turd you there, Kyle. I see what you're doing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> turd call yeah. me turn call me turn yeah joe you, joe you've been really active with uh, some some media spots the last couple days i believe you've had what two this week uh one of the things that you talked about was the the buffalo bills future you know that this the link to this spot on wg r 550 which is in the buffalo area is that correct that's right um their their sports radio show was talking about the bills qb future and if I can pivot that back to this six-pack that you wrote about, you had a point in your six-pack here where you're talking about the Bills' needs and the landscape of the 2018 draft class are not in sync. Can you go a little in-depth on that? Yeah, it's
2: it's really interesting because you and I both have ran into Brandon Bean, the Bills' general manager, on the road this year. And, uh, and those are games where there's marquee quarterbacks playing. Uh, I've seen him – Uh, at the NC State Louisville game, Omar Jackson, Ryan Finley, you saw him at uh, uh, the West Virginia Oklahoma State game with Will Greer and Mason Rudolph, I know that he's seen Sam Darnold several times, he's seen Rosen, he's seen Josh Allen, and you know, one thing that you and I kind of talked about uh, off the record one time is Brandon Bean's out looking for a quarterback, like, it's clear, and so you think about the bills and you know they have their own first round pick and the chiefs first round pick probably two picks that'll be somewhere between 15 and the early 20s and that's not going to be where you want to be picking to get a quarterback right you, know, you think about this this crop and it's Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold kind of your your marquee names and the the first two picks in the draft are probably going to be Cleveland and the Giants now both of those teams are going to pick probably Rosen, you know, a combination of Rosen, Darnold and Mayfield, right? At the third pick, you could have either the Colts or the 49ers. Now, suddenly the 49ers have won three of their last four games. Now with Jimmy Garoppolo in the fray, and they're the most likely trade partner for Buffalo. And you could really see the two striking a deal would make a lot of sense for both teams, but you know, it's really going to depend on who's available. I don't think Buffalo's going to like Baker Mayfield, and I and I and I'll tell you right now, I think that's a mistake. But if you think about the way that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean has built this roster so far with really super high character guys, four year uh, college guys, just really service driven type people, you know, I just don't think they're going to like Baker Mayfield. Right or wrong, I think that's how Buffalo is going to deal with Mayfield. Josh Rosen, I just can't see him being available right I think Cleveland's gonna pick at number one they're gonna pick Josh Rosen uh and then that leaves Sam Darnold who it seems like there's no real feel that he's going to definitely be available in this class and then you think about some of the the things that Sam Darnold needs to work on and so you start thinking about the bills need a quarterback all this draft capital that they have and then the landscape of this draft and I just I just don't know where that quarterback's going to come from. Uh, Lamar Jackson? They didn't build the scheme around Tyrod Taylor. Do you think they're going to do that for Lamar Jackson? And then there's Josh Allen. Is Buffalo a team that's going to like Josh Allen? I think Buffalo is going to like Josh Allen. Super good physical tools. I'm sure he's great on the chalkboard and a great human being. Uh, you know, are they going to be able to overlook the most important part of the evaluation, which is the tape, and and realize that he's got a long way to go in terms of playing quarterback? So Buffalo's need at cornerback, this NFL draft landscape, it's not a great marriage, if you ask me. And, and I guess what I'd like to hear is kind of what are your thoughts on this, Kyle? Like, are you seeing the same thing, or is there like a, a path here that I'm missing?
3: Um, and this, this was a question I actually handled the other night. I think the best course of action is for them to be aggressive if there's a guy that they value and – The film value's there, and I say the film value's there because uh, Josh Allen to Denver, I can totally see happening, right? Like, Denver's going to be in the top ten. Buffalo will not be picking that high up. Do not trade ahead of Denver for Josh Allen. But if Sam Darnold does declare and Josh Rosen does go one, and then you get the run on the Saquon Barkley and Bradley Chubb and Minka Fitzpatrick, and all of a sudden, you know, Josh Allen goes, and now two QBs are off the board, and Buffalo's sitting there, then they say to themselves, we really like Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's sitting there. That's Let's go get this guy. I think that's the only avenue for the Bills to go out and make a splash with a first-round pick at quarterback.
0: Unlimited data on their network. Video streams at 480p. Small fraction of customers using over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds. If you cancel balances due, well-qualified customers, full price, 720 plus tax. Finance agreements required. Netflix for two screens. Terms apply.
2: Yeah, and There's already some links there where some, some rumblings that that's the Bills quarterback that they like is Darnold. So, number one, he has to be available. Um, and, and things have to happen appropriately in front of him. I mean, you can't sit here and tell me with any certainty that the first two picks will be held by any other teams than the Browns and the Giants and that Darnold and Rosen aren't their two picks.
3: Oh, you're right. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>.
2: yep. <laughs> I mean, and so, and those teams, they shouldn't do anything else, right? They should sit there and take their quarterbacks. And so then there's this dynamic of Baker Bayfield's the the one that's left. And that'd be fine with me. I'd do it. I'd go get them. Buffalo's not going to do that. I, it would surprise me It'd be very out of character. Um, and we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens. But, uh, it's interesting because I just—it's—it's it's not a good marriage of need in—in in, in the landscape.
3: Yeah, Joe, the uh, uh, the last thing I want to bring to the table, and I'm glad you brought this to my attention, uh, Daryl Williams. Right? You—you kind of figured I was going to bring up Daryl Williams on today's <laughs> show. Uh, Daryl Williams was recently Pro Football focused, you know and I know some people don't put as much stock in Pro Football Focus and their offensive line grades as others. But at the end of the day, they have a lot of people who I really respect in the industry, and if they put something out, I'll take the time to listen to it and try and get their perspective on it. And uh, they put out their top 25 offensive linemen for 2017, and Carolina Panthers right tackle Daryl Williams is, I believe, eighth on the list of the best offensive linemen in the NFL in 2017. Now, Joe... I'm going to give you the floor here first because we both really like this kid. How surprised are you to see after two kind of ho-hum years from Williams to see him really put it together? I believe he it, it said he's not given up a sack in the last eight games.
2: It, it feels really good. It feels like there's some validation. And it's interesting because we we spent Monday show talking about, you know, late bloomers and nonlinear – Uh, development and uh this is this would have been a great guy to talk about right yeah um and both you and I liked him a ton throughout the process and um it's it feels I feel redeemed a little bit to see him playing well especially now that you know they went out and and got Taylor Moten last year to compete with Daryl Williams and probably they wanted him to start but Daryl Williams got this job and he's not giving it up um I think it was very validating and it's really cool to see a guy kind of get a chance. The team's lukewarm over his potential there and then just claim it, just take the spot. And a lot of the things that showed up on tape at Oklahoma are showing up now in the NFL in terms of his ability to move bodies and his power. And I thought he had good technique on tape. It was just, you know, a matter of, you know, kind of cleaning up some of his footworks to make sure he can handle speed off the edge. And you know, he's developed, Beautifully, and and uh, I know that you graded him really high. I think early second round, and I'm sure you're awfully excited to see this progress as well.
3: Yeah, it's the the self validation piece is is high with this for me as well. This was my 34th rated prospect in 2015. Really, really love the film. He went 102 overall in the fourth round of Carolina. Um, my player summary for Williams read: Daryl Williams lacks the foot speed to. Con- to be considered a reliable blindside tackle in the NFL. But Williams' size, length, and strong fundamentals at the position project favorably to a role as a plug-and-play right tackle from the start, provided he can mentally adjust to the speed of the game. Mind you, this is all on NDT scouting. I'm not making this up as I go. Low ceiling, high floor, right tackle in the NFL. So I think you're seeing the adjustment piece there. You know, talking again about nonlinear development and how some guys will you know, absorb a playbook or absorb how to handle you know, greater athletes at the NFL level um, differently than others and at a different pace than others. Um, this is a really good embodiment of that from Williams where fundamentally he was there, size and length he was there, and now he's learned a little bit. How to play consistently at the position? So yeah, his early second round value, thirty-four rated, thirty-fourth rated overall prospect in twenty fifteen for me. And here he is. And three years later, this is why the three year grade rule is in place, mm-hmm. so that you don't write guys off, and then have something like this happen where a guy the light bulb comes on and he reaches this potential that he's shown to, to have great amounts of in college.
2: Kyle, if I if I can ask a follow up on that specifically to you because you've uh you've really evolved a lot over the last five years with the way that you look at offensive tackles specifically and, you know, kind of thinking about the the time when Daryl Williams was drafted, you seem to kind of favor different types of players, more fleet of foot guys. Mm-hmm. But Daryl, you saw enough in Darrell Williams to kinda of break that mold for you. Was there something like that you can re- that you're reminded of that was was in Darrell Williams' game that kind of allowed you to be more receptive to his skill set where, you know, it wasn't something you had favored in the past.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, if I read through the traits, uh, the pass footwork was my premier trait, still is one of the premier traits. It's pass set, so I kind of opened it up and expanded that to be your pass set in general instead of just your footwork. Uh, But I said heavy-footed and kick-slide will be a limitation to – Inability to handle speed off the edge. Plays with a wide base of support and center of gravity. Rarely pulls feet too close together. So even though he was heavy-footed, I thought he always framed rushers well while he was in his pass set. Um, And that, for me, when I see your feet are heavy and you stop your feet, that's massive. Because now you're instantaneously going to fold at the waist. You're going to pivot. You're going to hinge right in place and let a guy run right by you. So his ability to sustain his base and make use of his size and his length by still being wide, even when his feet were heavy, was something that allowed me to kind of reconcile this foot speed that's not where I want it. I want a guy that can really get back in deeper sets, but um, no, some some really long guys can mask that. And his arm length was thirty-four and three quarters. Uh, you saw it on film. He had the ability to run guys past, and he stayed wide on it. And uh, he just beat the hell out of you as a run blocker. I mean, he was, he was really dominant, powering off the line of scrimmage. Uh, he moved, moved down linemen and guys inside his face in short yardage situations. Uh, punch was really powerful. Uh, did a nice job manipulating and moving bodies in the run game at the point of attack to create gaps. And when you pair all that together, that really strong run resume with something in the pass game that could help him mask his own physical limitations, that was a big reason why he still ended up scoring so high for me.
2: And this this Panthers offensive line is going to be an interesting storyline to watch over the offseason because Andrew Norwell, their left guard, was also rated in that list. And he's having a great season, but he's a free agent. And they're paying a lot of money right now to Trey Turner, who's a really good right guard, they're paying a lot of money to Matt Khalil, who's a really bad left tackle, and they're paying a lot of money to Ryan Khalil, who's a really good center, but he hasn't been hurt for two years. And so, you know, how are they going to uh you know pay Daryl Williams and Andrew Norwell with what they're paying these other three guys or, you know, is it going to be a situation where you know, Taylor Moten's going to have to be uh, asked upon to, to kick inside the guard and, and fill a role at a at a relatively low salary, comparatively speaking. So uh, just a, a low-key storyline to watch here over this offseason is going to be this Panthers offensive line and some of the decisions they have to make with some good players. Kyle, one last thing here that I wanted to bring up is we got a big fish in the quarterback uh, crop to – accept their senior bowl invitation and that's Oklahoma State quarterback Mason Rudolph who uh, is going to be participating in Mobile It's some news that we've had for a while but we uh, we wanted to let him make that that announcement and so um, we've had some time to think about this but uh, you know this is certainly probably the biggest name quarterback so far in this class obviously Baker Mayfield pending um, but I think this is going to be a really nice opportunity for Mason to kind of wow, right? I think some of the things that he does well is going to look really good at the senior bowl. I think he's a very proven leader. I think he's going to win over a coaching staff and he's uh he's, there's a lot of great talk about his, his intangibles and his, you know, kind of him as a person, uh, he's up for several awards. He's up for the Jason Witten award this year for that, uh, you know, kind of honors uh, service community service and leadership. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to be a big thing for him down there. Um, and it's going to take away from his, his issues, which I think are, you know, when things break down around him and having to come off that first read and, you know, when, when uh, chaos is happening in the pocket where he kind of starts to struggle. But, uh, you know, for him to be able to just make clean throws for a week in Mobile, I think it's going to be a really nice
3: showcase for Mason. Yeah, and that, that's the big thing for me. NFL could not care less about the Senior Bowl game, right? Like we stayed last year for the game. How many NFL personnel folks did you see at the game? (laughs) Less than five. (laughs) Like nobody. Everybody everybody jets out on Thursday night or Friday. Practices or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, everybody goes home. They don't care about the game. Mason Rudolph's issues are in live game action. So now you take him into a situation in which he's just slinging the pill around, knowing that he's not going to get hit and knowing that there's no urgency with that internal clock, he's going to pass the eyeball test with flying colors. And, um, you know, Joe, you had mentioned that that I ran into to Buffalo Bills general manager Billy Bean um, at the West Virginia-Oklahoma State game. Uh, there were two other uh, executive NFL executives there at that game. Steelers GM Kevin Colbert was there, and Redskins senior VP of player personnel Doug Williams was also in attendance. And I'll tell you what, I was down on the field watching the warm-ups and all three of those guys were standing next to each other at the 50 watching Mason Rudolph throw the football. Washington doesn't know what they're doing with Kirk Cousins. Pittsburgh's got to think about life after Ben Roethlisberger and the Bills are in desperate need of a starting quarterback. Teams are paying attention. He fits every superficial checklist. Big, tall, pushes the ball down the field. He's going to be in an environment in which he's not going to be stressed into making some of the mistakes that he makes in live game action when the NFL personnel is going to be there. This is, this is a home run for Mason. He's going to absolutely just knock this opportunity out of the park as far as I'm concerned. No doubt about it, my man. Joe, I think that's enough takes for the people today. There's, um, there's plenty more on NDTScouting.com, by the way. So if you guys have the opportunity to swing over and check that out, we would highly appreciate it. I mean, we didn't even get into John Ledyard's excellent piece on Josh Rosen's deep ball that went up on uh, Wednesday. We didn't get into a couple more draft retrospects. I did Jordan Howard and Demarius Randall, guys that are playing really well in the NFC North right now. Um, I touched last week on Derwin James being well within his rights to, rights to skip the Independence Bowl. Um there's, there's plenty of takes over at ndtscouting.com. We highly encourage you guys swing over and check it out, please. Uh, also, make sure you guys stay up to date with all of the latest and greatest here on the Draft News Podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a, a review if you feel so inclined to make us feel good about ourselves. Um, you know, you guys got to start puffing up Joe's self-esteem now before the Dolphins' <laughs> victory on Sunday. So, uh, just be kind give us a five-star rating. It's going to make him feel better when, when the game's all said and done. So just a little bit of, uh, of advice and uh, definitely don't, don't think of me at all. If the dolphins end up losing, because I'm definitely not going to be hearing it from hundreds of people. So, um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy the bowl games. Finally, make sure you get in on that uh, college football bowl, pick them with at You can also find that there. That's near the top of the page. Um, Follow us on Twitter. Joe is at the Joe Marino. I am at NDT Scouting. You can find some links to some of the stuff that we've written in recent days and links to the college of football game. It also there. Thanks for listening, guys. We will talk to you on Monday.